Are you interested in making your own podcast? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You guys can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And in fact, I'm using Anchor and I love it. If you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, everybody, this is Heidi St. John. Welcome to the Heidi St. John podcast. Today is Friday, July 19th. It is Meet My Friend Friday, and you guys know how much I love Worldview Academy and Bill Jack, and I'm thrilled because Bill Jack is on the show with me today. We're gonna be talking about all things faith and culture. Stick around. I think you're gonna be encouraged. All right, so thanks for tuning in to the podcast today, everybody. We got a great show lined up for you today. I want to remind you of a couple of things before I get started. First of all, I am actually in Phoenix this weekend for the AFI conference. And if you're anywhere near Phoenix, which I don't really know why you would be this time of year, but if you are, come down the convention center, cool off and get fired up to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. I'll be talking about the culture. Um, I'm keynoting that event. So I'll be speaking twice as the keynote. I'm going to be doing Epic, the fight for faith and freedom in a new era and encouraging parents who are anywhere within the sound of my voice to get off of the sidelines and onto the front lines. Next month, I will be in Kansas City, Missouri for my women's conference. You can find out where I will be for uh, September through October and even November at HeidiStJohn.com forward slash events. All right, without further ado, I want to introduce my friend Bill Jack to you. I got a lot of really great feedback uh, from the last time Bill was on the show, because Bill is an unashamed warrior for apologetics and for the cause of the gospel in the culture right now. He is the founder of Worldview Academy and Worldview at the Abbey. He's a father of three and a husband of one. He told me not to mix those up because he lives in Mormon country. So I think I did it right. Bill Jack, welcome back to the podcast. Heidi, it's great to be with you. And uh, I certainly enjoyed our time last time. And, and I did pay a lot of people to uh, say they liked the show. So that's why you, you got that. <laughs> well, I, pre- I appreciate that. Then it worked because it you, worked. You, you worked. You had a lot of great, a lot of great feedback. You are uh, one of the things I one of the reasons I love having you on the show is because you're not afraid to tiptoe. Actually, you don't even tiptoe. You just run right into them, into the the difficult topics. And when you think about, you know, what's on your heart, that's really what I want to talk about today, because I think you and I share a very similar passion for the culture. Uh, if if we pick like the top three topics, you and I were just talking about the squad and socialism and uh, Worldview Academy, why Worldview is so important. What's at the top of your list right now when, when you're praying about stuff and what's happening in the culture right now? What's on your heart? Well, as I look around and as you mentioned, the current events uh, point to this, I think the, the the problem that Christians are facing, the war that we are engaged in is a war against secularism. And if you look up a dictionary definition of secularism, it says that it's the rejection of or the exclusion of or it's just ignoring religion or religious considerations. And Mr. Webster would be rolling in his grave if he saw that definition, because that's not the proper definition of secularism. 
people say, well, we live in a secular culture. We have separation of church and state. Or if they were accused of being secular, even Christians would not necessarily take offense. But secularism is not the rejection or exclusion of religion or religious considerations. Secularism was founded as a movement in the 1840s by George Jacob Holyoke, who wanted to get Christians and non-Christians on neutral ground. He didn't like the term atheism. So he coined the term secularism. And secularism is the belief that there may or may not be a God, but even if there is, he is irrelevant in history, art, science, politics, government, law, etc. Now, George Jacob Holyoke died a failure. But if he came back to life today, he would see that he succeeded far beyond the wildest, his wildest imaginations. We are all secularized to some degree. And so I think secularism is at the root. It is the foundation of what we're seeing being built in our culture today. And that is this belief, as Francis Schaeffer put it, we have, it's a two-story world. You know, that there's, there's the, the spiritual in the second story, and then there's the, the, the secular. There's the secular versus the sacred. And it's this dichotomy that is killing our culture. And we see it evidenced in the squad. We see it evidenced in what we see happening with Christians throughout culture. I mean, I taught for 10 years in the public schools back in Illinois many years ago. And I was a Christian. I taught youth in my church on Sunday. But I would destroy your students during the week. Not intentionally. I was your worst enemy, actually because I was a nice guy. I really believed that when I walked into the classroom, I had to shed my faith as if I were taking off a sport coat, that I would put my, my heart, my faith in the bottom drawer of my desk when I walked into class. And then on Sunday or Wednesday evening, when I walked into church, I would put my mind, my intellect on the shelf in the foyer before I sat in the pew. I was, Which is what we've been teaching Christian kids to do for forever. Exactly. And, and I was schizoid. I was a schizophrenic Christian in that sense. And that's why uh, Worldview Academy exists. It's to train Christians to think and then live in accord with the biblical world. So I see, I see that's what's happening. And, and uh, I, I mean, I never mentioned the most influential piece of literature in Western civilization in my, in my English class. Never mentioned the first book printed on a movable type printing press, first book read in outer space, an international bestseller. Never mentioned the book that college and university English professors say is the number one book that students should read before they enter college. Now, what book did I fail to mention? It's the Bible. Yep. That's academically absurd. And yet, I felt compelled to compartmentalize. So I was your greatest problem. Christians in the educational system are enabling the system to continue. And an enabler is one who allows the addiction to continue for the sake of the relationship. If you want Mm. to put it bluntly, I just sold out. If you want to put it more bluntly, what do you call someone who does something but does not believe in what he or she is doing. And they do it for money. You call them a prostitute. I prostituted myself. And that sounds harsh. And I know you're probably going to get a lot of 
people who are going to call in and, and yell at you for my statement, but I can say it because I lived it for 10 years. Christian teachers need to stand up in the secular schools. We don't need to send our children there as missionaries. The missionaries are already there. They just need to be empowered and educated as to what their liberties are. They can change the system from the inside out. And I, t- I tell you this because when I found out what my liberties were, I started teaching a unit on a three-day unit on the Bible as literature. It was in my lesson plans, got signed by the principal. And then when he saw what I was doing, because they just signs it automatically. When he heard what I was doing, he came down and told me to stop teaching it. I said, well, uh, I have academic freedom. He said, well, it's not part of the scope and sequence. I said, well, I was a student in this high school, and now I'm teaching here. There hasn't been a scope and sequence in 20 years. He said, if you continue to teach, I will cite you for insubordination, which is grounds for dismissal. So at that point, I appealed. I filed a grievance with the National Education Association, the local arm in Illinois, and I got them to defend my right to use the Bible in the classroom. Now, that sounds bizarre, does it not? Because we all know that the NEA, the National Education Association, is the most powerful lobby in Washington. It is totally secularized. They are hostile to biblical Christianity. But I tell you that because Christians can win. Christian teachers can win. It may cost them, but I can train them how to win. And we can change the system. If, I used to think that if parents really understood what was going on in the secular schools, they would literally pull the bricks out of the walls and tear them down by hand. But, but the schools have won. This generation of parents has been trained to think secularly, as evidenced by electing the squad to Congress, as evidenced by the the change in the percentage of Christians who view homosexuality favorably, as evidenced by the change in the number of Christians who have now caved on the issue of origins. Any number of of issues, you can feed them back to the secular schools. The schools are the problem. And I think it was Martin Luther who said the schools can can be the gates to hell if we're not careful. And and we need to understand. Well, sorry to get on my soapbox, but you no, asked it's question. so good. Well, I I can't. I was just looking at my husband. I'm just like, Bella's on fire. I love I love talking to you. I can't write fast enough. Uh, you know, there's a couple things I'm writing down. All the S word because you know my my affinity for writing down uh, words that start with S. And I wrote down the squad, socialism, uh, schizophrenia, stop compartmentalizing secularism versus the sacred in the culture today. And I think, you know, there's so many things that you've just brought up. So I want to unpack it just a little bit. So first of all, for listeners who don't know who the squad is, the squad are the four uh, women of color, right? Representatives in the Congress right now who are socialist, I would say communist. We've elected communists to the United States, the highest offices in the land. It's amazing to me. So uh, Representative uh, Ocasio-Cortez, that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, otherwise known as AOC. She represents New York. Um, Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts. Ilan Omar from Minnesota. Minnesota's on fire. 
And of course, uh, Rashida Tlaib, who is also from Minnesota, both uh, socialist, uh, really communist representatives who really hate this country. And they became known as the squad because Trump came out the other day after they said, uh, I think, you know, Ilan Omar said, you know, she was the one who said uh, that Jewish money controls Congress. Right. And then AOC says that we've got concentration camps on our southern border. And uh, Ilana or Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts said that we don't need black faces that don't want to be uh, a black vote. So these are openly racist, right? The um, What's your name? Uh, I can't stand her. She drives me insane. Ilan Omar. She said that the Holocaust gave her a calming feeling in a uh, in an in an interview. And so the the press dubbed them as the squad. And so President Trump took him to task and said, hey, if you hate America, leave. And then they said, you're un-American, you racist. <laughs> and I'm just like, did you not hear? I mean, it's crazy to me what we're what we're dealing with in the highest office of the land. And yet we see uh we see the polarization that's happening in the culture right now. And I loved that you talked about what's happening in the public schools, because as we talked about just before this, this there, the schools in the United States of America are on fire. They are on fire in every way. They're on fire uh, morally. They're on fire spiritually. They're on fire academically. And the primary question I get from parents who hear this stuff and they feel overwhelmed, I think that's the number one feeling. And I, I do believe that's what the NEA wants. And that's the National Educators Association, by the way. That's the union that controls all the stuff that's happening in the schools. And the more I read about the union, the more upset I am. I was talking to to you, Bill, a few minutes before, before we started. I said, I'm reading a book called Standing Up to Goliath. And it's, I'm telling you, everybody, I'm going to link back to it in the show notes today. It will make your blood boil what is happening through the unions who are really um, bullying and fear-mongering these teachers. And you told me in a stunning revelation, something I didn't know about you, that you used to be part of the NEA. So if you can enlighten people, what is the NEA and why do we need to care about it? Well, I was actually the uh, union rep for my building. And I just thought, well, the, the NEA, the National Education Association, just represents teachers and makes sure that they have good working conditions and it, it works for their for their pay. And the answer Seems is legit. no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It What it does is it seeks to transform culture. It is the secularization of education. Education has won. The squad is certainly a result of what they learned in schools. Now, Ilan Omar came to this country as a refugee. She didn't learn to hate the United States before she came here. Right. She learned to hate it because of the education system. And that's what we need to realize. Uh, there's a, I, I just read a couple of interesting books in the middle of one. The, the one is by Tom Wolfe who is a secular author. He died last year. Uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, which was made into a film, but very sharp journalist and writer. And he's, he's written a book about evolution, and it's called The Kingdom of Speech. And he shows how evolution is absurd. He's kind of like the modern-day uh, Gamaliel. He's the voice of reason to secularists who will not listen to Christians, but they will listen to guys like Tom Wool. I urge people to read that. And then I'm reading, I'm in the middle of a book called Cultural Engagement. by It's a crash course in contemporary issues 
by uh, Joshua, I think it's Shawtraw and Karen Pryor. And what they're doing is they're taking different issues in our culture and they're having different Christian authors and thinkers address it. And it's a broad spectrum of Christian thinkers. But what is disturbing to me about the book is that on the issue of things like homosexuality and abortion, which used to be standard issues that every Christian understood were, were wrong, that there is a variety of thought within Christendom on this. Why and biblical is that? illiteracy? It's because we that's, don't know the Bible. That's exactly correct. We have become morally bankrupt. We have become confused. We have become biblically illiterate, and we do not care for liberty in the church anymore. The church mm. does not stand for liberty. Mm. We we need to understand that we've got to get back to the tried and tested tools, the fundamentals of the faith. Now, I'm not a fundamentalist in in the pejorative sense, but I'm talking about teaching our children the fundamentals. A good friend of mine closes every conversation with his grown children by saying, stay faithful. Mm, I love that. I'm going to write that down. That's another S. That's another S. Stay faithful. I asked him, I said, why? He said, well, my children know that I love them because I've told them repeatedly throughout their lives. He said, what they need to hear from me now is encouragement. So I started oh, using wow. it. And after a I'm few gonna months. I'm going to use it too. Yeah. After a few months of using that as my goodbye, my daughter asked, dad, exactly what does that mean? Now, she obviously been through my simple tools for brain surgery lectures throughout her life several times. But <laughs> she, she asked she the maybe give it. <laughs> but it's a great question. I mean, we hear statements such as stay the course, stay true to yourself, stay focused. We know that stay means to remain in the same spot, to hold on, persist, be committed. So one who is faithful is loyal and reliable. They sort of stay faithful means to remain loyal. But the problem in our culture is we've got people who are remaining loyal, like the squad, to false causes, evil purposes, wrong worldviews. So -hmm. when I tell my children to stay faithful, I want them to recall what they've been taught from childhood. That's why parents should not sacrifice their children on the altar of convenience and secularism by sending them to the state schools. Yeah. We want them to hold on to the foundational teachings, the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, the historicity of the miracles of Jesus, the atonement for sins by the death of Christ on the cross and his physical resurrection. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And that's that's what Worldview Academy attempts to do. Part yeah, and my kids are there right now. I just three of my kids just came back from there. I love Worldview Academy. Sorry, I interrupted you. Carry no, on. No, that's quite all right, and <laughs> and that's why we do Worldview at the Abbey. We do a a bridge year program for students who want to take a year before they hit the culture or their career, or their their college uh, further training. They take a year and they get they get grounded in a biblical worldview. They get Did you grounded. know my nephew's going to be there? No, is that right? My nephew, yeah, I'll tell you when we get off the phone, but my nephew is coming there this fall. I'm so excited. So, Sweet. yeah. Sweet. Yep. 
Yep. So I love our, what you're doing. We, we, we want to make Christianity the fad for the next generation. F-A-D. Now, I'm not talking about a passing fancy. I'm not talking about a fashion statement that comes and goes. I'm talking about making it the fad for the next generation. F-A-D can represent either fear and defeat, which is exactly how Christians are engaging the culture. Most Christians are engaging the culture now. Or it can represent faith and duty. We need mm. to make Christianity, the, we need to make fad, faith and duty, the call, the rallying cry for Christians in our culture today. Because we have plenty of, of issues that are facing us. And unless we return to the fundamentals of the faith, if we learn how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, Colossians 2.8, if we contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all given to the saints, Jude 3, if we do that, we can turn this culture around. We can turn it right side up. The problem is we don't, we are, we're operating out of fear rather than faith. We're operating from a position of defeat rather than exercising our duties. It, our cry should be faith and duty. Mm. I, that Worldview Academy encourages students to fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's Hebrews 12, 2. And when I, when I think back on the 24 years of Worldview Academy, I see faces of students who eagerly wrestle with big ideas through 29 hours of intense class time at camp. I see, I see faces, for example, you said you're going to be in Phoenix. We, we did one, a couple of camps in Phoenix until we realized that nobody can survive Phoenix in, in July. Okay. <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> but I, we, we take our students down. We, we, every Wednesday, we take our students out, no matter where they are, and we have them share their faith. And I recall being on the streets of Phoenix, and I, I see the determination on the face of a 13-year-old girl who refused to budge when ordered by six police officers to stop engaging people with the gospel. She would not back down because she had been taught her rights. She knew she, the First Amendment. She was intent on standing for her First Amendment liberties to proclaim the gospel, and she prevailed. I, I see the joy and the tear-stained face of a young man who led a college student to faith in Christ. I, I see the perseverance of the face of a young man who pressed an engineering prof at the University of Kentucky campus. The prof told a student that he denied anything supernatural, that he was a materialist and only believed in what he could grasp with his five senses. And the student merely asked him this question. So as an engineering professor, do you believe in the laws of logic? And the professor kind of humped and said, yes, of course. Then the student continued, are the laws of logic material or immaterial? <laughs> At that point, the prof, I was watching this, the prof just wagged his finger in, in the face of the student, wheeled on his heel and stomped away, wristed. Yeah. It's so I mean, important for parents to see this because you can actually educate your kids that faith is not devoid of reason. Exactly. That they can take faith out into the marketplace, out into the workplace, out into the schools. They can engage with police officers who, by the way, should never tell a student that you can't share your faith in a public place. But wow, I mean, you you guys are really, you're, you are educating to engage, right? That's, we want them to stay faithful. That is the yeah. last thing I want them to hear at camp is the, the admonition, stay faithful. As a father, as a mother, for our children, the John, 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And yeah. that's why 
we need so desperately to take education seriously in this country, in the Christian community. We are sacrificing our students on the altar of secularism, convenience, evolution. And again, I was the greatest culprit. And I, I, I have a lot to answer for. And it's only God's grace and his mercy that has allowed me to do this. But I, I want students to hear in their ears, stay faithful. Stay I love faithful. that. I'm going to start using it. I, I'll give you credit for a little while, but I'm going to start using it. Christians <laughs> well, steal from each other. There's another S Okay. That's steal. actually, ooh, steal. Yeah. I'm going to write that down too. We're going yeah. to get a whole huge list today. So I want to move on to another, uh, I want to stay on this idea of education because it's, it is a passion of mine. I recently spoke for a conference here in my area called the Slavic Vote, trying to get uh, the Slavic community here to get off the bench and onto the battlefield to say, listen, because I heard a statistic recently that up to 90% of them don't vote. They share our values, but they don't vote. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, you, you get, get out there and vote. And as I was talking about what's happening in the public schools, I can sort of see your, their eyes sort of glaze over like, well, we don't know what to do. We take our kids out. But of course, our kids go to school. And I'm like, no, actually, the public school education is a relatively new idea in terms of uh, humanity, <laughs> relatively new idea. And people need to understand what the schools are doing. So really quickly, I'm going to list a couple of things that the the schools are doing through the union, the National Educators Association, which really does run the schools at this point. Uh, they just had their conference just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the NEA has said now that they stand for, these are their new assembly items, the explicit defense of the fundamental right to abortion under Roe v. Wade for youth as well as for grownups. So either killing or sexualizing our kids is now official NEA policy. They are a political organization. They oppose the, quote, criminalization of border crossing. So no wall and the immediate shutdown of detention centers. So let them all out. The NEA agrees uh, in uh, in NBI Article 37 that these places are, quote, concentration camps, right? They're putting racial politics on parade. They want to pass the Equality Act, which I guess you and I could talk about forever, horrible stuff that's happening in the House of Representatives right now. But so we we've made a pretty good case that your kids are being indoctrinated in the schools. I mean, they're they're being taught by activists and even the teachers that are wonderful, because there are a lot of wonderful teachers will tell you that they are uh, just like you were. I mean, Bill, I wish I could get you into every public school in America because there are so many Christian teachers who feel like they can't they need to compartmentalize their lives. They can't teach what they know is true. They have to teach what they know is false so that they don't lose their jobs. And so the parents that are listening to this right now and they feel like, I give up. I, I don't even know what to do. What can we do? Where where do we start? I had, um, I've been talking to a lot of wonderful people on the show lately, but you, I think, have a voice that really rises above all of them because you're teaching kids directly where to start. But talk to the parents right now. Where do we start? What can we do? So to get off the bench and onto the battlefield, what does that look like today? This is going to sound harsh, but do not send your children to the secular schools. Mm. Now, we need missionaries there. Once again, your, your third grader is not equipped to be a soldier on the front lines in Afghanistan. So they would be safer there than they are in most American secular schools. Do not send your children to the secular schools. Take 
responsibility, take authority for the education of your children. And 90% of, of education is character development. They, they, can, they can learn to read and write and they can do math. I mean, and parents say, well, I can't teach them that stuff. Parents, I heard this many years ago. I forgot who it was, but, but it was one of the early homeschool leaders. She said, you know what? A parent has done something no teacher has ever done, taken someone who knows absolutely nothing, taught them the mother tongue, a complete language with little effort in less than two years, taught them a complete language. And if you can do that, you can teach them two plus two. You can teach them geometry. You can teach them literature. And there are ample resources out there for those who are parents who are also in education. Don't become a script reader for the state. There's another S word for you. I was a yep, script reader I just wrote for it the down. state. That's all I was. And, and do not become a, a script reader. Do not indoctrinate, educate, challenge students to think and then live in accord with a biblical worldview outside of an understanding that education is the, the I think it was Luther who put it this way. He said, it's the, it's the preparation for the art and science of living within God's creation and throughout eternity. That's what education is. And we need to have a view for it. Why are so many students dropping out? Why do they not care? Why? Why? They just say, well, I don't care about a good job. I don't care that I, I need to get into college. And it's, it's because they don't have a purpose. Why do so many teachers burn out? Because they don't see the purpose in education. It is the preparation of the art and science for living within God's creation and throughout eternity to his glory. That's what education is. Parents do not sacrifice your children to the secular schools and then become vocal, become activists, take your students out periodically to the local college and just engage students in conversation. You know, by doing this on Wednesdays with students at our camp, uh, we hear on the news and, and we think that there's this huge divide. That we are, at a, and there is a divide in the culture, but it's only a few who are really hostile. It's the squad. We've allowed the squad of four to represent all what five hundred thirty-five members of Congress. Who Ilan Omar has a she has a nine percent. People need to understand this. You know, she's the face of the Democratic Party, right? Which I'm like all for it. Like, make these crazy women your face. That's amazing. But she's got a nine percent approval rating. AOC has a twenty-two percent approval rating, and we're making the the news. The mainstream media makes it sound like this is the majority. It's not. It's, it's not. not. And 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 the culture is not necessarily hostile to biblical Christianity. They are ignorant. Uh, my daughter uh, made a friend and with this guy and a young man, and he, he has started going to church. And he says, look, she's made it very clear about her faith. And he's fascinated by this. He says, I, I just I'm not hostile to it. I just uh, I've never was raised in it. He was raised in the United States. But he said, I never went to church. Don't know anything about the Bible. I don't I'm not hostile to God. I'm not an atheist. I just I just don't know. And people are curious. The truth rings out and we need to proclaim truth and grace, truth and grace, truth and grace. And we need to proclaim it loudly in the marketplace of ideas, whether it is in the bakery shop where we bring our faith to bear 
as Jack Phillips did here in Colorado, or whether it's in the, in the classroom when the teacher is willing to say the Bible is the most important book you should read academically. And, and it, it's not preaching in the classroom. It's teaching truth. And truth results in liberty. And that's why I say we, we have a culture that, that no longer values the, the, the tried and true tested tools of our faith. We have a morally bankrupt culture. We have confusion within the Christian community. We have biblical illiteracy and a lack of concern for liberty. Parents, train your students to think and then live in accord with the biblical worldview and do that by teaching them, not indoctrinating them. And of course, send them to Worldview Academy. Send them to Worldview at the Abbey. Get a, get a hold of our materials at worldview.org. We have many DVDs and books and, and uh, nine-week devotionals that, that you can use with your student, either individually or in small groups, to train them in things like, what does the Bible say about origins? What is, what is the image of God? What's the imago Deo in, in each, each of us? How are we to respond in faith and not fear? How are we to understand worldviews? What's a biblical worldview? So we have resources available to parents to, to teach and then to put into practice. Everything I do on, on my stuff is usually on DVD, and, and it's, it's very practical. I'm not a, well, you I'm not have a great a, you're thinker. You're a teacher. I disagree. I disagree. I think you're a great speaker. One of my favorites, and I've seen you over the years at homeschool conferences, and uh, you have a unique ability to really talk to students and a unique ability to encourage parents, I think, to get off the bench and get onto the battlefield. Like, this is what you can do. Take your kids out of public school. That's step one. So, you guys, it's July right now. It's a great time of year to withdraw your kid from public school. So, go down, withdraw your kid from public school. There's a million different ways that you can homeschool your kids, and that's a way to get off the bench and onto the battlefield. I've got another question for you because this is just, uh, I am, I'm dying to ask you. I've been saving this question for three months. So, a student, wrote into me and she said, Dear Heidi, I heard Bill Jack on your last podcast and I have a question for him. I believe that Jesus would have us care for the refugees that are fleeing other countries and coming across our southern borders. I believe that Jesus would have been a socialist. So here's my question to you, Bill Jack. Was Jesus a socialist? Well, first, the question that we have to ask is what does she mean by socialist? Um, and the in in the culture, the term socialist means that you have compassion. And yes, right. we're to have compassion. But she needs to understand jurisdiction. Now, jurisdiction, it literally broken down, means the act of speaking law. Who has the right to speak law? For example, can, can she come into my home and put her stuff in my refrigerator? And the answer is no. Why not? Because it's my refrigerator. It's my house. And so I have jurisdiction. I have the right to speak law in my house. I can lock my door and keep her out of my house. Or I can invite her in as long as she obeys the rules. And so your house, it's my house and it's God's house. Everything belongs to God. He has set up jurisdiction, the family, the church, the state, and I would add the employee-employer relationship. 
Now, do I have the right to discipline my children in my home as father? Yes. Can I take my daughter, however, and boil and eat her? Of course not. Who would step in besides my wife? The state would. The state Mm -hmm. would. Can the state tell me, Bill, pay your taxes? Yes, they can. Can the state say to me, however, Bill, we don't like the color of ribbons you're putting in your daughter's hair. Therefore, we're going to remove her from your house. No, they can't because they don't have jurisdiction. They have limited jurisdiction. The church can come to me and say, Bill, we find that you're in gross immorality. We're going to discipline you. We're going to kick you out of the church. They can do that. Matthew 18. 1 Corinthians 5. Can the church come to me and say, Bill, we're in a building program, therefore we're going to take your entire paycheck this week? No, they have limited jurisdiction. And then there's the employer-employee relationship. Can my boss say, Bill, the toilets are dirty, go clean them? Of course he can. Can he come to me and say, Bill, we're out of change, go down to the bank and rob it? He can say it, but I don't have to do it because he has limited jurisdiction. So to answer her question, Who has the right to speak law in this situation? Now, as an individual, I can can offer compassion to those in need. But it's not the role of government to be compassionate. Government cannot be compassionate. They cannot be merciful because government is an institution. And we are so far removed from a biblical worldview that it's almost impossible to unpack this in in such a short time. But, for example, welfare. You know, what's the first line of defense if somebody's in need? And most people think, well, the government. No, it's the family. Well, what if there is no family? Well, that's why the Bible says it's the church care for widows and orphans. Right, which the church is really having a hard time doing. Yes, and because the church has abandoned its jurisdiction, because the family has abandoned its jurisdiction, we have such a confusion in the culture as to what the role of government is, especially on this issue of immigration. Now, we, we value the immigrant. We care for those who are strangers in our land if they enter lawfully. Here's the crux of the problem, right? Here's here's the problem because it's jurisdiction. They They have broken our laws and therefore they pay the penalty. For example, this the big outcry is, oh, we're separating children from parents at the border. Well, if I am driving drunk down the street and a police officer pulls me over, he's going to separate me from the children in my car. Those children will be taken and put into social services while I'm put yep. in jail. Do, is, there an outcry, is there an outcry against that among those who are saying, oh, they're separating children from their parents at the border? You see, we take and, and we, we gag at a gnat and we swallow a camel in our culture. We, do, we have to have a bigger world. That's why worldview is so important. We've got to train Christians to see the world through a biblical set of glasses. And and because we're not, it's what Francis Schaeffer said years ago, we see the world in bits and pieces. And immigration, if you take it back to a biblical worldview and you start with the foundation, then you can answer the specific questions about what to do with those who are at the border illegally. Now, was Jesus a socialist? What do you mean by socialist? Okay. 
And I think and, she means Bernie Sanders socialist. I think she means AOC socialist. Uh, right. I think she, you know, I feel like we're 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 looking so hard. Yeah, I mean, we're we're swatting at a uh, we're swallowing a camel. Yeah, and and I can't answer her question until she defines what she means by socialist, and mm-hmm. then we can have a conversation. So I would urge her to write me. I mean, she can write me, and if she's listening, and and ask me the question, but she's got to define what a socialist is. She's got to find define what a Christian what Christian compassion is. What's the jurisdiction? of government. It is to administer justice. Well, it's just to feed people who are who can't feed themselves. Well, it may be. It may not may not be. Okay? It may be that that we in the name of justice, we execute people who committed heinous crimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that's not very loving. Well, it's not the role of government to be loving. It's the role of government to be just. Romans 13. Now, I've I've, I've thrown out a lot of stuff against the wall, and people are going to react to it. I urge them to write me. They can write me at, at, at billjack4987 at gmail.com, and, and, and we can have Look a conversation. Out, we can have a conversation. <laughs> but I might not be able to satisfy, satisfactorily answer the question, but I'm mm-hmm. going to attempt to say, here's what Scripture says. Bring yourself in line with Scripture, and then we can answer that question. Was Jesus a socialist? What a strange question. What a strange yeah. question. And Jesus yet, this is what is you God. hear on, on <laughs> this is what you hear on social media all the time. I see it all the time. Jesus was a socialist. I'm like, no, G- Jesus didn't live in a it, it's just it's such a it's such a wacky thing. But I and I wonder if it's uh I mean we're talking obviously part of her question was about the border and security at the border. And I'm thinking, boy, Americans, and I I think you said this so beautifully a little while ago, we need to start caring about liberty. We need to start caring about liberty in our, and we will not have a nation if we do not have borders. We've got to have, we are a sovereign nation with borders. When people cross into our country illegally, then that's not the right way to do it. And we have every right to send them back. No, you can't do that. That's not, that's not how we do it. My husband and I took our kids to uh, Europe a couple of years ago because I was speaking there. And uh, we went into Switzerland and France and some other countries. And every time we came to the border, we were nervous. Every time. We wanted our passports to be in order. We wanted our papers to be correct. We wanted to be able to say what we were doing there. Why? Because we respected the sovereignty of that nation. And we knew that that nation could say, yeah, you can come in or no, you can't because that's their right as a nation. And so I think we're confusing so often, you know, the young people, especially because this is happening in our schools. Again, it goes back to the schools and what they're being indoctrinated with and teaching them. They don't understand why uh, the sovereignty of nations is so important. When we open our borders and we don't care who who comes in and we no longer have rule of law, we will no longer have a nation and we will no longer be free. It's interesting that I would like to ask her if she could go down to the border and enter Mexico illegally as those who are coming into the United States are attempting to. And she would find herself quickly incarcerated. And it goes back, Heidi, it goes back to this whole thing that I started with. And that is the idea of secularism. We live in a, we've been secularized in our thinking. Yeah. That's that's what the attack is. That's the battle that we're facing. We've got to train ourselves to think biblically, to think God's thoughts. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 9, 13. It, it says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little mm-hmm. city with a few men in it, and a great king came up against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man 
and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. We need to understand that we need to train our children to aspire to be like that poor wise man. Even if no one remembers them, they can Mm -hmm. save cities by proclaiming truth and grace, truth and grace, and speaking against the siege in our culture of secularism at every point on the wall, every point of our institution, from education to immigration, from government to family, from sexuality to marriage, all of those. We need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need to think God's thoughts after him. And so I would urge this girl, this writer, to get in touch with me and we can have a conversation. I'm sure I'm not going to satisfy her her objections, but at least I want her to understand that I have a biblical basis for what I'm saying. That's right. And in the conversations we have with people out on the streets, I always ask them, I said, not that you agree or disagree. But am I being clear in what I'm saying? We, we, we need to stop shouting at each other. And we need, it's not a confrontation in the gospel presentation. It is a conversation. And mm. that's what we need to have. And we need to, we need to stay faithful to what God's word says and then apply it liberally throughout culture. So that's exactly right. My friend, you encourage me. I have a two full pages of notes. This is like going to church. I have two full pages of notes. I'm sitting here looking at my notes. So encouraged. Uh, all the S words that I wrote down today. Uh, I'm just so encouraged by what you're doing. For everyone who's listening to this today, uh, we've got a special offer for you. We want to encourage you to check out Worldview Academy. You still, there are still a couple of camps coming up, correct? Yes, coming we up do. This fall? Yeah have two fall camps, one in Texas and one here in Colorado. And if people want to sign up their students for camp, they can do that. And if they use your name, then they can receive a special rate, uh, a savings of $100. And if they can't take advantage of the fall camps, then they can also use that for signing up for next summer when our schedule goes online later this year. So we would love to have them join us at, at either a Worldview Academy Leadership Camp or at Worldview at the Abbey, which is our bridge year program, or just check us out online, look for our materials. We'd be happy to assist in, in uh, complementing what parents are seeking to train their students to do, live according to a biblical worldview, to stay faithful. Mm. My friend, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. You have encouraged me and I am going to start using that tagline, stay faithful. You watch, it's going to be all over everything I do. <laughs> well, steal it freely because I stole it from my friend. <laughs> right. I love it. Bill Jack, be, That my would friend. be successful, another, another S word, right? And, and people That's would be satisfied. Fair. We could go on. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a joy to have you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. 
For those of you who want more information on Worldview Academy and to get $100 off the full camp tuition, visit worldview.org forward slash Heidi. If you don't know how to spell my name, it violates the I before E rule. So it's H-E-I-D-I. So that's worldview.org forward slash Heidi. For more information on Bill Jack, and I will link back to his email address for those young people who wanted to ask him questions directly, visit me at the show notes, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash podcast. The show notes are there. They're transcribed for you. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with your friends who are wondering why worldview matters. It's important, you guys. Stay faithful. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here on Friday. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.